Do you guys remember Oumuamua? Oumuamua, uh, it's a Hawaiian word. It, it's an object that was detected in our solar system, but it's not from our solar system. So it's, it's the first interstellar object that we've ever detected in our solar system. And that was um, 2017. It's detected in October 2017. So I was reading a little bit about that. It's got a shape unlike anything else in our solar system. I, I don't know how that could be true. So they describe it as cigar-shaped. It's not like everything in our solar system is perfectly round. I think, you know, you have, uh, I remember reading about Ultima Thule. Ultima Thule is a Kuiper Belt object. It was explored by the New Horizons probe, which was sent out, I think, 2006. They sent this out, and it finally reached Pluto, like 2013. It was sent to, you know, observe Pluto. And uh, after that, they sent it, like, another billion miles out to this thing called the Kuiper Belt, which is... I guess a bunch of, I don't know, if asteroids or comets, what the right word is. A bunch of rocks, not planets, they're smaller. But Ultima Thule is not, it's not a, you know, perfectly spherical object like a, a planet. Not that a planet is even perfectly spherical, but you know what I mean. Ultima Thule is, they called it a binary object, which I guess it was kind of, it looks like two snowballs smashed together, I guess. So they say this. Oumuamua from 2017, this is not a Kuiper Belt object, this was an interstellar object, is cigar-shaped, and I guess that's very unusual. But it's reddish, and it's reddish because they said that this was caused by being bombarded by cosmic rays for millions of years in interstellar space, and it has no water ice on it. It's interesting. Oumuamua. I just looked this up, and New Horizons reached... Pluto in 2015, not 2013. Why is it called Oumuamua? Well, again, it's a Hawaiian word. It was detected by scientists in Hawaii, uh, an observatory in Hawaii, which is interesting in itself. I don't know a lot about this, but I don't think the scientists were Hawaiian. I think it was non-Hawaiian scientists working at this observatory. And when I say Hawaiian, I, I'm, I'm assuming, again, I don't know this, so you know, apologies to the scientists if I'm making a false assumption here, but I'm going to guess they weren't native Hawaiian people. Hawaii was a colony of the United States. They're native Hawaiian people, their own language, their own culture. It was conquered by the United States. I think this is this is Spanish-American War, right? Or 1890s. Yeah, I think it was around then. And so here's my point. There's always some tension with the native peoples and their culture there. And, uh, and the broader United States. We don't hear about it very much. I definitely don't know much about it, but I know that it exists. I recently saw a story where the United States is putting, I say the United States, it's part of the United States now, but the, the government is putting in a, a new observatory there or wants to. And it's being protested by the people there. So there's kind of a political backstory here to this object being named using a Hawaiian word. One thing I can tell you about it, and I don't even need... I don't need a scientist to tell me. I, already, I, I can infer this about this object. I was learning about the, the fundamental forces, weak nuclear force, strong nuclear force, gravity, electromagnetism. As I understand it, the bonds that we're used to thinking about, all the chemical bonds, ionic, covalent, van der Waals bonds, hydrogen bonds, these are all expressions, manifestations of the electromagnetic force. That's my understanding. Could definitely be wrong about that, but that's my understanding. 
Now, electromagnetic forces, or the electromagnetic force, that is not what holds, say, a planet together or a star. But it is what holds a rock together. Here's my point. I can tell just looking at this, or even not looking at hearing about its shape, I know that Oumuamua is not held together by gravity. It's held together by electromagnetic forces, which also makes me gives me the ability to make inferences about its size. But we'll put that aside for a moment. But how do I know it's held together by electromagnetic forces and not gravity? How would I know that? I, nobody told me that. I'm not an expert on this stuff. Well, its shape is not the shape that an object would be in, would form, if it was held together by gravity. Think of it. Stars, planets. These objects that are held together by gravity, they're round. Or again, they're not perfectly round, but they're round. Well, Ultima Thule is not round. Oh, no, it's not, I didn't mean Ultima Thule. Oumuamua is not round. And so you know that it's being held together by the electro, electromagnetic forces, like an ordinary rock, and it's not gravity. Because when gravity creates an object, or the gravity, uh, an object is large enough to have a large gravitational force holding it together, it forms a, an, a sphere. So as you probably can figure out, I've been on a bit of a space binge and when i study stuff now i study all over the place i kind of i used to read book after book i read from the first page to the last i take notes i i'm i'm starting to think that's a waste of time i actually don't think that's the way you learn stuff and now i'm on the opposite i'm doing the opposite i jump around as like the my whims direct me you know so i'm only looking about i'm only studying things that are interesting to me in that moment and the other thing I stopped doing is I'm not taking notes. Now, I, I am writing, but I'm making flashcards. Now, I, I say I don't take notes. I, I take notes sometimes. But I'm increasingly skeptical of the utility of note-taking. I think you end up writing a bunch of stuff. And here's the test. I go back to this stuff later. I don't remember writing it. Like, I worked, I worked through a problem. I wrote it down. And then I put it away, and I never looked at it again. And you go back to it, and all that time I spent, it was wasted. So if you, I, and the point was, I want, I want this project, whatever this is that I've been doing, because all I do is I study. I mean, it's, I've, 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 everything's falling apart in terms of like health and everything. It's all I do is I study. It has to be cumulative. I enjoy the process, but I'm not doing it for the process exclusively. It needs to be cumulative. So if I go back years later and I don't remember any of the stuff I, I thought I learned, it was pointless. So I'm all about flashcards now. If, I, if there's a fact I like, I put it on a flashcard. I have these drawers full of flashcards. And uh, I, don't, I don't try to get every detail about something because that's not the point. You're not going to remember those. But I try to grab a few facts. And it can be ideas, too. It, it can be... This is what I think, think people don't get sometimes. They talk about higher learning and all this stuff. Any... Any idea that you can think of can be reduced to a proposition. You know, I, hear, I hear other teachers talk about higher-order thinking and making connections. All of that is reducible to propositions that you can memorize. Now, you know, thinking critically and arriving at those propositions on your own, yeah, I, I agree. That makes it more memorable to you in that sense. It's more valuable in terms of learning. Anyway, my point here is uh, it's all flashcards for me now, and uh, it's not... I don't think 
I don't think it's too unlike what people do when they're writing a book and they have uh they have index cards and they they have them all sorted and they have the citations. Now I don't I don't put citations and stuff on it. I don't know that I'm going to write a book. I'd, maybe one day, but you know, this is not this is about putting the information in my head. And one thing about that is there's no limit. We, we you have these guys uh Kim Peek and other people like him, but the, they fill their head with all this information and maybe he's just mentally different he can do that but i don't think i think the issue for most of us is there's a bottleneck there's only so much information we can get into our head even if even if we were adding information as efficiently as possible even then the capacity of our memory is much greater than the speed at which we could learn you know if it takes a million years to fill it up you know uh, at our most efficient i'm just making that number up but let's say it's, let's say it takes it would take a thousand years to if you're working maximally efficiently it would take a thousand years to fill up the human memory of course we don't live that long and of course we we don't operate as efficiently as possible of course there's other stuff that matters in life to other people <laughs> So it's all flashcards now. That wasn't my point. My point was I've also been reading about Mars. Did you know that Mars has seasons? I heard somebody casually talking about that. They're like, yeah, well, during the winter on Mars. And I thought, wait a second, there's a winter on Mars? They just jumped past that like that wasn't an interesting fact in itself. You might be thinking, well, of course, yeah, planets have seasons. That's not a given. Because remember... And this is something you hear when you when you learn this. It's always taught to you as a kind of almost an admonition. The mistaken response that I think you're expected to give when you when you first learn this is you say, "Well, it must be closer to the sun in the summer." That's nothing to do with it. It's not about the distance of the planet from the sun. The seasons on Earth, that is. The seasons on Earth are caused by the Earth's tilt. And it changes the sun angle, the angle at which the sun is striking the Earth. It changes the length of the days. So it's the tilt of the Earth on its axis. It's 23 and a half degrees tilted. That's what causes the seasons. I thought, oh, okay, so Mars has seasons. It must be tilted on its axis. Not only is it tilted on its axis, it's almost tilted to the same degree. It's 25 degrees. So that's interesting. But here's the really interesting about Martian seasons. Martian seasons are, in part, a product of of Mars' distance from the sun. The thing is, Earth's orbit is not perfectly circular but it's almost perfectly circular mars mars's orbit around the sun is less perfectly circular and so there are times when it's significantly further away from the sun than at other times and so that distance can therefore have an effect in terms of seasons so there's two causes of seasons on mars only one cause on earth it's a tilt but the um the seasons on mars are caused by both the tilt 25 degree tilt and the fact that it has a less perfectly circular, I think I can say a more elliptical orbit than the Earth, which causes it to be at greater or lesser degrees of distance from the sun, which help which contributes to seasons. This is really interesting because I don't know I don't know how this works, but there must be times at which the tilt is gonna cause it to warm in a certain part, at the same time that maybe it's so distant that it would be cooling. So those those two factors must at times compound each other and at times offset each other. That's interesting. Martian seasons. I never learned any Latin. I think that's something near. I think it's something that'd be helpful to learn because, you know, so many, you know, um, scientific terms or they use Latin. The southern polar plains of Mars, southern polar plains of Mars, they're called 
kind of making this up, the Planum Australe or Australe. That, that suffix, A-U-S-T-R, means southern. Australopithecus, southern ape. Australia, southern continent or something, I guess. A-U-S-T-R, that means southern. So this is the southern plain, Planum Australe, Australe. I'm not, I don't know how to say it. These Martian seasons, it snows in the southern plains of Mars. That's southern pole. There is water ice there. I want to say water ice. I used to find that. It used to bother me. It was like, wa- ice is water. Why do you say water ice? Because other substances can freeze. Remember, ice is just one of the phases of water. Other substances have phases as well. And you can have different types of ice. It snows in the southern plains of Mars. It doesn't snow water. It snows carbon dioxide. How cool is that? Carbon dioxide is in the air. Now, we always hear that the, all the, the, you know, some of these planets, they don't have any atmosphere. I think that's to be taken as virtually no atmosphere. When they say no atmosphere, as if there's no atoms at all in the floating on the surface of these planets. So there's carbon dioxide in the, in the presumably very thin atmosphere of Mars. Well, in the winter, their carbon dioxide freezes and precipitates back to the surface as a solid. You have carbon dioxide ice. And then... It sublimates, it turns back into a gas in the spring or the summer. So that's kind of cool. You have some somewhat familiar seasonal phenomena on Mars, but some of these crazy differences. It's not water falling from the sky, it's carbon dioxide. You could never get me on a spaceship. I think it's a terrible idea. I'm not sure we should send people at all to these places. Um, I guess if you're risk... uh, (laughs) If you're a, you lack an aversion to risk and you want to climb into you know something we've put on top of a rocket and we're going to fire you skyward and hope that you land on another planet. If you want to do that, I guess I'm willing to watch that. But there's so many things that go wrong. I mean, just your your bones lose density, your intestines, the para what are they, peristalsis. Am I using the word right here? <laughs> Biology teacher, I should have more fluency in uh, biological terms here. But yeah, the peristalsis and in your intestines and your that stuff slows down. Uh, they're talking about the effects of radiation. I saw something where they're talking about uh like when they put mice in a situation where it's a similar level of radiation as like interstellar. Well, yeah, not interstellar, but as the uh, the radiation you'd affect, like they sort of just they don't go crazy it sounded like they got like lethargic and anxious at the same time the point is they weren't thinking quickly that was kind of their point it was like how can you expect these guys to like repair you know a spaceship while they don't have their wits about them use the rovers send the rovers all over the place i don't i'm skeptical of the utility of sending people i th- i'd love i think you know a thousand years from now or something we're sending people to go live there and terraform and do all the science fictiony stuff the more you learn about this stuff, remember there's the Challenger explosion in the 80s. One of the people on there was like a history teacher or something. You know, it was like a social studies teacher. Uh, and it was, you know, you could feel bad for any of the people on there. But I remember thinking it had, a, it had a vibe of like, we're like, let's pick this ordinary American and give them a chance to be fired skyward. The Apollo missions, you know, the very, they were doing a rehearsal for Apollo, remember Apollo 11. That's when they finally got somebody on the moon, Apollo 11. The Apollo mission, there's a whole bunch of Apollo missions. It goes up to, I think, 17. And uh, 12 people have walked on the moon. I think 24 have made the trip to the moon. But, you know, there's you know there's a craft that stays in orbit and somebody has to stay in there or something. And I don't know if any of the people... I don't think anybody's ever walked on the moon twice. I think I think there are people who have gone to the moon twice. I, don't th- I think only 12 people, 12 separate individuals have ever walked on the moon. And they've each only walked on it once. That was the Apollo missions, 69 into the early 70s, I guess. 
Apollo 1 rehearsal, the thing explodes. It kills them. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say it explodes. I don't know it explodes. There was a fire. They died. This was, they're trying to get ready to go to the moon. They died here on Earth. Apollo 13, I think it was. They canceled it. Something was going wrong. I don't know. What is our obsession with this? It reminds me of Mount Everest. I don't, it's funny because I don't have that aversion. But I hear other people kind of ridicule the idea of climbing Mount Everest. And it's funny because my intuition is, that does sound kind of cool. I'd love to have that view. We'll come back to that in a second. But I, let's, not, let's not put people on top of the most powerful rockets we've ever constructed and let them rip. Send a freaking robot until we're ready to send people there, like I said, to live there. I'm for that. I just, you know, I think it should be in 10,000 years or something. Speaking of that view from Mount Everest, this is the coolest thing. So my point in all that is while I would never myself climb aboard a rocket ship, it's a contradiction here because if I were to make a bucket list, (laughs) if I were to make a bucket list of places I want to go before I die, you'd have to send me to Mars. Mars has a bunch of volcanoes. They're the largest volcanoes in the solar system. And I guess we just call them mountains. They're not active volcanoes, obviously. The largest in the world, there's this thing, place called the Tarsus region, or Tharsis, I'm not sure. The Tarsus Montes Shield Volcanoes. Orion Mons, Pavanus Mons, Escrius Mons. There's all these there's all these cool volcanoes. There's other ones too, not just that region. Elysium Mons. Here's the big one. Olympus Mons. That is the largest volcano. I assume it's the largest mountain we could say. It's the tallest surface in the entire friggin' solar system on Mars. I don't I don't know the the metrics, but it's not like a few feet taller than Mount Everest. It's just like it's like five Mount Everests or something crazy. So imagine that view from Mount Everest. <laughs> imagine being on Olympus Mons. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe I'm missing something here, but it seems like you would be standing on the top and you couldn't see the bottom. You know, maybe it's not steep enough for that. I think it is. They said a shield volcano, so I, I don't know if Olympus Mons is a shield volcano, but you know, obviously I think those are the very um not steep ones. So you got the tallest mountain. Kind of blows Mount Everest away. We have the Grand Canyon here in the United States. I've never visited it. That that would be cool. The Grand Canyon does look incredible. They got a canyon on Mars. Call it the Martian Grand Canyon. I've, I've never heard anyone say that, so I just coined it now. The Martian Grand Canyon. Yeah, they call it Mariner Valley. We're going to call it the Martian, Martian Grand Canyon. It's ten times longer than the Grand Canyon. Yeah, here on Earth, the Grand Canyon is like this incredible thing. I think there might be... What's that trench? Marianas Trench. I think there's some places like that in the ocean that maybe are you know, on a grander scale, perhaps, than uh, the Grand Canyon. But this Mariner Valley, Mariner Valley, 10 times longer than the Grand Canyon, four times deeper, and 12 times wider. I just have this image in my head. This is the part that makes me kind of like, I'd I'd put this on my bucket list. I want to go, not to Olympus Mons so much. Olympus Mons is incredible, but I want to go to the Martian Grand Canyon. And I hope that the walls of the Martian Grand Canyon, I hope they're steep enough. Because, you know, if they're not steep, you can't even tell you're looking at a, you know, an incline in some sense. Like, that's not what's exciting. What's exciting is imagining being at the bottom of that wall on another planet. Just standing and looking up. 
and just disappears into the horizon above your head. That's incredible. So that's my bucket list. I want to go to the Martian Grand Canyon.